Welcome to Bounce Back Stronger, the podcast that explores ways to find peace and purpose no matter what happens. Today's guest, Lee Patello, is here to share life-giving information that every woman and those who love her should know. Lee's journey is nothing short of remarkable. She survived a widowmaker heart attack and overcame not one, but four sudden cardiac arrests. Rather than letting these challenges define her, Lee has emerged as a passionate advocate for women's heart health and a staunch supporter of hands-only CPR. I wanted to have Lee on the show this week because February is Heart Awareness Month and February 2nd is Go Red for Women Day, both of which raise awareness of the importance of heart health. Lee, thank you for joining us on Bounce Back Stronger. I'm so happy you were able to be with us on this important topic, which affects everyone one way or another. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity to be with you. So maybe get the biggest question out of the way. How did you overcome the challenges of surviving this type of heart attack? What factors or strategies played a role in being able to persevere through that time? Sure. Well, you know, just to define what the heart attack was, it was what's commonly known as a widowmaker heart attack, which is a large blockage in the left anterior descending. So what I had was commonly known as a widowmaker heart attack, which can kill somebody by having it. What happened was I had a 70% blockage in my left anterior descending artery. And that was a blockage of plaque, a piece of the plaque ruptured and then caused a hundred percent blockage. That blockage caused a stop of blood flow in my heart, which caused the sudden cardiac arrest. So I collapsed at home and was saved by hands-only CPR in my home by my now ex-husband who knew enough to call 911 and then came to my side and performed hands-only CPR just doing compressions. Wow. Once paramedics arrived, I went to a local hospital. From there, I went to another hospital and they cared for me for about a day and they were going to try and perform bypass surgery on me. They had put me under a protocol of induced hypothermia to cool my body and maintain my organ function. When they started to warm my body, getting me ready for surgery, I went to cardiac arrest three additional times. Oh my gosh. In total, my heart was shocked 14 times. And I was given CPR every time through. Once they stabilized me, they realized that all they could do and the best thing to do was get into my heart, put a stent in. And they did. So one little stent is in my heart and that saved my life. Prior to having the heart attack and going into cardiac arrest, I had felt some heartburn and I had called an on-call doctor who said, it could be esophageal, but I can't rule out a heart attack. Take an antacid. If it doesn't get better, go to the emergency room. Now, this isn't a situation where the doctor should have led with, it could be a heart attack. Call 911 and get to the emergency room. Then the experience that my family and friends and everyone had would have been very different because I would have been in a controlled setting when things initially occurred. So I did have some warning, but that's the only thing I remember was a heartburn that was just different than anything I had ever experienced. That was on Sunday. It was Mother's Day, actually, that year, 10 years ago. I'm coming up on 10 years, but I don't remember anything until Thursday morning. So part of how I got through it and survived, I woke up to happy faces, people grateful to see me. I woke up on the joy side of what happened. I didn't experience the trauma. I did experience pains in my chest from the fractured ribs from all the CPR and things of that nature. But for the most part, I didn't experience, is she going to live or die? I didn't feel any of that. So for me, emotionally, it was very different than everyone around me. 
moving forward, the hard part was I wanted to talk about it and other people did because for them, they didn't want to go back to that space. Yeah. And for me, I needed to have an understanding. Yeah, you wanted to know what happened. And you needed to talk about it to work through it. Correct. Wow. So it was just, it was a very, very different place than anyone else I knew had ever been. One of the things that was very helpful to me was being an advocate for myself. And in that, it was immediately at the hospital, I had asked one of the doctors who came to visit me, I said, well, can I start cardiac rehab? And he said, oh, well, we don't necessarily recommend cardiac rehab for someone with a stent. I'm like, well, okay, I want cardiac rehab. So can I get it? And I got it. And that was a huge help to me because one of the things I experienced was I literally walked into my bathroom and died. Had heartburn, walked into my bathroom and died. It was so commonplace. How did I know that if I tried to walk at a faster pace alone on a trail that I wouldn't just drop dead? So cardiac rehab helped to instill a confidence in me. And that was through being attached to machines. to have people watching and going, no, no, you're okay. It's fine. Everything's fine. It was that reassurance that was necessary to try and move forward with things. It also gave me other people to talk to, not necessarily cardiac arrest survivors, but other people who had different cardiac issues. So we all had a chance to bond and talk. I was much younger than my counterparts there. Um, I was 45 at the time once I started rehab and everyone else was 20 plus years older than me actually made friends with the father of someone I went to high school with. Who knew? (laughs) But that gave me an opportunity still to connect with people who had somewhat of a similar experience. Because as we know, with a lot of things, you just want to find people that can relate to you to connect and find those opportunities to talk about it. Long term, one of the things has been finding a support group. And I am a part of a support group that meets monthly. It's through a national organization called Women Heart. It's wonderful. We just every month get together, introduce ourselves to anyone new. Those of us who've been there for a while know each other's stories. It's just a great supportive place to be. And for the everyday things that pop up, you know, that we're going through or sharing life changes as they happen. It's again, someone who can understand what you've been through and how you're trying to get past what's come up now. Several of us have gone through divorces. Several of us have gone through other health issues. And it's concerning. Whenever you have something new, you're always thinking back, well, how does that affect my heart? So it's finding that opportunity to bond with others and really share. That's really important. I appreciate you sharing that. I think in this particular case, it's nice to hear that there's groups and that you can get that support. And I think anybody who's listening, that is a key part of any kind of recovery from any event or anything that happens to us is finding others that can relate because it's hard when people can't. They don't say the right things. They mean well. I mean, they don't mean to, to hurt you or to make you uncomfortable, but it's great to find other people that understand. Absolutely. And they're the people who can pick apart when you say I'm fine, because I find that (laughs) that is the worst F word you can ever use. (laughs) Because I'm fine. People who take that as okay, that's their answer. Everything's okay. No, never. It's kind of like saying, how was it? Interesting. Interesting (laughs) is not a good connotation necessarily. Fine. There's always more to delve into. And finding the people who are not going to accept your answer of fine is important. Whether that be groups of friends or a support group or whatever it might be, if anyone ever says fine to you, ask something else. That's so funny. I'm coming up with a book in the next month or so, and one of the chapters is called F-I-N-E, and I define it as feelings inside not expressed. 
Yeah, when I lost my fiance, I was in a room full of yoga therapists. So these are people that are taking three-year certifications, many nurses, psychologists, physical therapists, and I'm sitting there and they all knew what happened to me. And all I could say was, I'm fine. And they all wanted to help. It was one of the hardest things. I think I feel bad about it now. And I wrote about it. I really couldn't talk about it. And I needed the time. And sometimes we need the time. I was saying I'm fine all over the place. and, And it was so not true. Well, even when it comes to going to your doctor, and I talked about advocating for yourself, do your best not to use that word because they will accept it as I just made up four minutes here because I didn't have to answer a question to get to my next patient. Be honest with them. They want to know what's going on. They want to help you, but they can't if they have to spend that much extra time trying to dig because a lot of them are not trained in a way to really help get to that core if they're not provided with a trail. Yeah. So it's really important advocating for yourself and being honest. Be honest with yourself and be honest with them. And be body aware. I think that's one of the things that's hard too, is I think we don't know to listen to our bodies and what it's telling us. And I think it takes a long time to figure that out, to start to be aware. I remember when I first started taking yoga, the teacher in one of my classes said, how do you feel? I didn't even know what to answer. I didn't know how to answer. I didn't ever think about it. How does my body feel today? What did I eat last night? And how do I feel? Am I short of breath? You know, I don't even think about it. I just was just in such a trance. So I think that's a big thing too, is becoming aware, like you said, like being able to tell your doctor how you're feeling and the symptoms that you might be having. Absolutely. And I feel a lot of things in my chest now that I probably have felt for 40 years, but just never thought about it. But now I question everything and I think, okay, that's bothering me. Did I pull and turn the wrong way? Did I lift something wrong? Did I have enough water to drink today? I might be dehydrated. It's amazing the things that you start to process and work to figure out and don't need to make the phone call necessarily. But if it's something too that innately you feel an alarm going off and it's the hardest for women because we put everybody else before ourselves. But if you feel like something's wrong, get help. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's interesting. I'm just going to go back to what you said in the beginning because you actually are going to really help those that love you, right? Because they're going to go through the trauma of whatever it is. So sometimes it's hard, I think, for us as women to do stuff for ourselves. But think about your family and the people that love you and how you don't want them to go through that trauma. Absolutely. And in subsequent years, I've heard different stories come up. I actually went back to the initial hospital. It was a community hospital where they first brought me by ambulance. And then from there, I was life started out. And I went back because I was having chest pains. I was really uncomfortable. I didn't know what was going on. And as I'm on the bed, the nurse kept looking over at me, looking at her computer, looking back at me. And she realized when she read my name and read my history, she said, I was here the day they brought you in. But because of HIPAA, they have no idea once you leave the hospital what actually happened. So for her, it was a sense of relief. The woman came in to take my EKG, poor woman, and her face went blank. She's like, oh my gosh, I remember you. And I will never forget your children, she said, and how concerned we were that they may never see you again. So that's another thing, too. Not only is it your loved ones, you affect a lot of people. (laughs) We all affect a lot of people, whatever we're going through, because there are people who come in and out of our lives momentarily. Look at all the healthcare workers for anything that ever happens that never end up knowing our stories, never know what the outcomes are, but they play a part in it. And they have memories of it and it can affect them as well. Yeah. Hero is not a good enough word for those people. Absolutely. 
So you're really being an advocate now in getting involved in hands-on CPR awareness. Tell the listeners a little bit about that. We talked a little bit beforehand and how important that is. So maybe spend a little time there. Yeah, actually, I got involved with the Heart Association almost 17 years ago. My son was born with two congenital heart defects. And from the moment we learned about different programs they were doing, we got involved with fundraising and working with them. So I was very involved with them when I had my cardiac event. And then I came out of it. The first thing I told them was, hey, I took one for the team because now I can talk (laughs) about women's heart health and hands-only CPR. So you're welcome. (laughs) So I went, I did, I shifted from really talking about congenital heart defects. My Mm. father also had a history of heart issues. But again, as women, he was a man, right? Only 44% of women understand that cardiovascular disease is as significant as it is. One in three women will die of cardiovascular disease. It's the number one killer of women. But again, we all think men. So I really just got more interested in speaking to that, speaking to what can women do. Women's bodies are very different. We experience things differently. We have different things that happen to us that don't happen to men. And when it comes to research, most research is done on men. So I really wanted to do a lot to educate women. And when it comes to hands-only CPR, 350,000 out-of-hospital cardiac arrests happen every year. 70% of those happen in homes. Knowing how to perform hands-only CPR will most likely save someone you know and love. And it's very easy to learn. It takes a minute, 90 seconds to watch a video and see the steps. So if you don't have a defibrillator around, the most important things to remember is if you see a teen or adult suddenly collapse and they're not breathing, call 911, put the call on a speakerphone so you can talk to a dispatcher as you're doing everything. And then just start doing compressions hard and fast in the center of the chest at 100 to 120 beats per minute. And that can be a song like Staying Alive. It's so important that you just continue to get that blood circulating through the body. That's critical. Again, if you're in a place where there could possibly be a defibrillator around and you're with other people, assign someone, you go get a defibrillator, get that there as soon as possible because the shock is really going to start the heart again. But by keeping the blood flow going, you're continuing to keep organs operating. So that's why hands-only CPR is just so critical. And again, less likely to be done on women because people are afraid, oh, I might hurt her. Dead is worse than being hurt. I can tell you that. They're afraid of any repercussions if someone assumes they're touching them sexually. Yeah. You know what? You have to go between the breasts, right along the breastbone. It's okay. In a situation like that, no one's going to question it. And we have good Samaritan laws that can protect you if you're making an attempt to save someone's life. And again, the incidents of happening 70% in homes, that's what happened to me in my home. Now you can go and be certified. That's the gold standard, getting your CPR certification. And yes, absolutely. That's wonderful. And it teaches you breaths also, which is important for drowning situations or someone who may have asthma and it's more of a breath issue. But at a minimum, if people can know hands-only CPR, call 911, push hard and fast in the center of the chest, 100 to 120 beats per minute until help arrives, you're going to double or triple someone's chance of survival. So you have links to that, right? Because we'll put that in the show notes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll be watching that. 
it's quick to watch the video. There's a link I can provide also that has playlists. So you can familiarize yourself with multiple songs. If you don't want to have staying alive stuck in your head, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to think Rhythm Nation by Janet Jackson's another one. Oh, that's a cool one. I love that you song. Know? So there's a lot of different songs that you can find. I've created song lists for Broadway shows and things that I enjoy um, and that other people might find that they'd rather have that in their head than disco. Give me some of those lists. I'll put them in there too. <laughs> it's a great thing. You are amazing at talking about this. How have you developed the resilience to get through this? I mean, I, you know, because I, a lot of times people can come out of this and have a different mindset, but you came out swinging, I think it sounds like. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing too. I'm not perfect. Yes, I came out. A lot of people will go through this and they will have a complete life change. They now become an Iron Man and they're now eating extremely healthy and they're now doing everything right. I am as imperfect as they come. And part of the momentum to move forward is the forgiveness. It's yeah. okay. You know what? We can't all be perfect. I made a mistake. I'm going to do my best to try and change something else. When you look at things in terms of like knowing your risk factors for cardiovascular disease, right? There's things we can't change. We can't change our age as much as we'd all like to. We can't change our family history. Important to know also. There's a tip. Make sure you know your family history. Right. Because that was one thing. They say know your numbers is another one. And numbers can be modified. Numbers being your weight, your blood pressure, your cholesterol. My weight was always off. It was I was always too heavy. But my cholesterol, my blood pressure were always fine. But I never put enough consideration into my family history with my father. Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't call that a mistake at all. It just is the things that we do. And there's not enough awareness to realize that it is going to impact you. I think that's why we're doing this today. And even when talking to doctors, they say, is there a family history? And I'd say, yes, my father had you know quadruple bypass. He had this, but he smoked for 50 years. He never ate well. He never exercised. Doctors would then even kind of put it off to the side. Right. So know and own your family history. Yes. You know? But then when it comes to risk factors, we can try and change. It's eating healthier, exercising more, getting enough sleep. Sleep is critical. You need seven to nine hours a night. That's the best window of sleep you can get. Not smoking. If you smoke, quit because you will see changes within a week. It's very rapid, the changes you'll see and then how it'll prolong your life. One of the things to try and do is reduce stress. And for me, stress is the kicker that goes to the poor eating habits because you have the stress it all, it's and then you go, Oh, you know what? I think I need to call Ben and Jerry. <laughs> yes. I need them with, yep. there with me tonight. So it's trying to find the things you can control. So I work more to control my stress and sometimes it works with the eating. Sometimes it doesn't, but even if it only helps to really breathe more and calm myself, it makes a difference and it's going to in turn affect other things as well. Yes. Yeah. And I so, struggle with eating too. I totally get it. Uh, yeah. I think it's always been my go-to. I think I'm always in it. And it's not something you can stop. Like I stopped drinking because you can stop drinking alcohol. You don't need it. But I think, you know, we have to eat. It is hard to, <laughs> to completely right. abstain from that. Right. Um, right. So I, and we've all been know. taught, you know, in the past decades that food is food is food as opposed to this is the really good food. This is what you should always be having. This is the occasional thing. And we're, you know, we're learning more about that now. But if you grew up in the 70s and things were different. Um, mac and, and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> in a box. 
I still like it. It's just not really good for me, <laughs> but I still like it. And some of the other things that have worked for me is just having the perspective. I wrote a blog. I can actually provide you with links to that too. I used oh, to write for the Huffington Post and nice. I wrote one about the anniversary of my cardiac event. And it talked about how I had, I got a helicopter trip to the capital city and I had this amazing room service that you can't get any five-star <laughs> hotel. And I had a cleaning service at my house for months. And I had a beautiful quilt made by my friends from around the world, but it came at a cost. Mm-hmm. But it's the perspective of here's the things that I also would have missed. I would have missed sitting in that orchestra concert for my fourth grader. And I would have missed celebrating these little daily things. It wasn't even the big celebrations. It was the little things that mattered. And finding perspective in every day. Don't just focus on the big goal or the big event coming up. Absolutely. And, and, it's the little and things the that you get remembered. Yeah, yeah, the gratitude that comes with that. Yeah. I love the song, Little Wonders. It's all about that. It's all about just remembering, especially with your kids, you know, remembering all the little things, because that's really what they remember. Yeah. They don't remember the vacations. They remember the yeah. little moments on the vacations. So, no, very well said. And we're, we're getting close to, to wrapping up, but is there anything else that you really wanted to share before we close? I think it's just for women, again, we put everyone else first. We're there to be there for our family, our friends, our spouses, our children. We need to take care of ourselves to be able to take care of them and to be there for them. So while it seems like a chore or it seems selfish, it's not. And it's okay. We all need to get over that mindset of selfishness with trying to do something for ourselves. It's not. It's okay. You know what? That'll be something they won't even notice gives somebody else a chance to spend time with them. It gives us a new perspective on how we value the time with other people. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot we can learn from it. And it's it's important that we really do work to move ourselves closer to the top of the to-do list. You don't have to well, be number one, but you know, two, three, let's stay in the top five. <laughs> well said. Well, thank you so much for being with us. I I learned a lot today and boy, I had a really good time talking to you and I will have all the links that we talked about in the show notes so you can follow up with Lee and all of the different resources that she mentioned. Thank you so much, Lee. Oh, thank you so much. I really had a great time. I appreciate it. That's all for today. If you want to learn more about Lee and the heart-related causes mentioned today, those links will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode was helpful. And if it was, please subscribe, drop a review, or share it with your friends and family. That's the best way to get it in the hands of those who may benefit. And if my daughters, Sienna and Sylvie, are listening, I just want you to know how proud I am of you. And I love you so much. Bye now.